Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We have Bernie sitting in for John Paul today to call us at 0818103103. And the reason why Bernie is sitting in for John Paul as we speak, John Paul is on the train to Dublin. He's heading up because C103 has been nominated for a Justice Media Awards. And the Justice Media Awards are taking place today at the Law Society at Black Hall in uh, Dublin. Now, the Awards recognise outstanding journalism that contributes to the public's understanding of justice, to the legal system and to legal uh, issues. And what John Paul, along with Barry O'Mahony from our newsroom and Mairead Tuig, our news reporter, they have been nominated to C103's coverage of that terrible uh, tragedy that happened on the farm in Kanturk in 2020 and the following inquest into the events. And they have been nominated in the broadcast journalism category. So we wish our John Paul, Barry and Mairead the very best of luck. Now the awards ceremony starts I think at about 12 noon today and John Paul has promised to keep his update if anything breaks uh, before we come off air at one o'clock and uh, so if we don't hear anything back from him by one he certainly will have all the news for us uh, tomorrow. So Bernie sitting in for John Paul taking your calls instead today. You can also text or WhatsApp to 086 103. And I always like to mention if there's a particularly nice photograph that catches my eye when I'm going through the papers uh, in the morning. And on both the front of the Irish Times and the front of the Irish Examiner, as the Irish Examiner put it, magic in the air, is a photograph taken by David Creedon. It is just a stunning photograph and the colours in it are just magnificent. And it's of a little nine-year-old girl by the name of Maggie Sinclair. Maggie is from Clonakilty, but she's looking at the offerings which have been left on the Walter Stone at the dawn of the summer solstice yesterday at Drumbeg Stone Circle in Glandor. It's just, it's, it's a picture 
postcard uh, photo. It really is. So if you're out getting newspapers today, and please do try buy a, a paper. Uh, the Examiner and the Irish Times, as I say, both have that picture on the front page. All of the papers then are talking about the fact that we here in Ireland now, we top the table along with Denmark. And our t- Denmark has always been the most pricey country in uh, Europe. We are now, along with Denmark, the most expensive country and this is for everyday expenses and that's obviously the to cause by experts. Do we now need a consumer affairs minister? Someone who is going to be sitting around the cabinet table that's going to be fighting on behalf of consumers, you and I, the ordinary people of Ireland. According to Consumer Information and the comparison website uh, bonkers.ie Derek Cassidy regularly speaks to us from bankers.ie. The pain of everyday costs spiralling is not going to get any better anytime soon. And look, just quickly looking down through the findings of this latest survey, we are 105% higher than the EU average for drinks and cigarettes. We're 88.5% higher for housing. higher for the utility bills, that's things like our electricity and our gas. 46.5% higher for broadband and mobile phone charges. We're 39% higher if we're travelling by air, train or sea. And we're just under 30% higher for going to hotels for an overnight stay or eating out. And this report has been released by the European uh, Commission. And it revealed that prices in both Ireland and Denmark were 40% higher than the EU average. And obviously this is the report that's out from last year at 2021, 40%. I mean, even to be 10% higher, we'd be given out about the cost of things. But to be 40% higher than the EU average really is shocking. And the Eurostat uh, poll says that the price variation, particularly on alcohol and tobacco, that can, is directly related to the difference in taxation because, you know, they draw comparisons with other countries and, you know, like the, we, are one, we are the highest for alcohol and tobacco. But when they compare it, say, to Bulgaria, Bulgaria was one of the cheapest and Poland was one of the cheapest. And it's because the, the, the difference in taxation in those countries on things like alcohol and uh, tobacco. Uh, outside the EU, if someone really fancied, say, a very cheap pint of beer, and you wanted to get a pack of cigarettes at the same time, then North Macedonia seemingly is the place to go in Europe, while Turkey is the cheapest place to go if you want to buy clothes and if you want to shop for cheap food, Turkey is the place to go. Turkey came out as lowest of the 36 countries that were ranked. Ireland were also reported as having the highest cost for food. Are we in any way surprised? No. Prices for food, 17.5% higher than the EU average when it comes to clothing and footwear. Uh, we Ireland fares well, coming in just below the EU average. OK, so we can buy our clothes and our footwear just below the, uh, the average. However, it's by far the most expensive when it comes to housing. That's why we've come in at 88.5% higher to buy a house here 
than across the uh, EU and we're the third highest for hotels and restaurants. Again, I don't think any real surprise there. And actually already this morning, before I even mentioned this, Michael has sent on. Now, I don't know if Michael himself was trying to book this room or he's picking it up from somewhere else. Now, it is a five-star hotel in Dublin, so I suppose that a five-star hotel in Dublin in the city as centre for a price for two adults for one two adults is that a two adults and a child and it's two adults and a child for one night it was so mammy and daddy and they want to bring little Mary along with them and they want to go to Dublin maybe they want to be married to the zoo and they're going to treat themselves to a five star hotel one night will cost them 1,400 euro I mean that is just crazy so no surprise to hear that we're we're the top third when it comes to prices of hotels and restaurants in across the uh, EU Consumer Information and Comparisons website bonkers then that I mentioned they've been analysing the figures they say the figures are staggering and they are the ones who are really now calling for consumer affairs ministers to be appointed the cost of hotels and restaurants have ballooned they say even higher since that Eurostat data was collected because remember the report that the Eurostat data is based on was looking at figures across 2021 we're almost halfway through 2022 and we know week on week prices have gone up since the start of this year. So if you were to do that comparison again, or imagine this time next year when I'm talking about the figures for this year, I take it the figures are going to be even higher. Dara Cassidy saying, look, the figures were compiled before scores of hotels were block booked by the government to house asylum seekers and the Ukrainians fleeing uh, the war. And that, uh, some say, has led to prices in the hotel sector skyrocketing this summer. The scale of the difference in prices between Ireland and our neighbours, he says, it's pretty shocking and it's getting worse. He says that doesn't bode well for our competitiveness. And while all that data has been revealed yet again, our Taoiseach Micheál Martin yesterday flatly rejecting any type of an emergency budget to deal with all of those spiralling costs. And and a a phrase that he's using quite a lot, he mentioned again yesterday in the Dáil, and he says it will only exacerbate the situation to chase inflation. So he is very much against chasing inflation. Micheál Martin says he does believe the crisis could get worse. That's by his own admission. But he says the October budget is the best way to set out a long-term response to the cost of living crisis. He also admitted that he is worried about the winter period. And while he's worried about the winter period, we've got people worried about between now and October when whatever additional extras the government are going to give to people, they're going to have to wait until October for it uh, to come in. But uh, there's a really good piece as well in the Irish Independent today, Charlie Weston. He is writing a piece on some of the reasons why we pay through the nose for everything in uh, Ireland. And I'll just give you a little piece of this editorial piece from Charlie Weston. He says, Ireland has few, we few natural resources and we're a small island at the end of the line when it comes to imports of raw materials and particularly, he says, things like the likes of gas. The low levels of real competition, though, with rivals often happy to pretend 
rather than really compete with each other. He says we've got high taxes and we have low levels of consumer protection, which is really what Derek Cassidy from Bankers.ie, he said, he said they're all huge factors explaining why there seems to be what he's calling a paddy premium on everything in this country. He said the fact that we import so much of our gas and it, other imports is cited by energy providers as one of the reasons why we pay oversized prices for energy. But remember, he says, the EU Energy Commissioner, Candy Simpson, she cited a different reason when she was in Dublin last month. She referred to the high cost that suppliers pay to connect the electricity network. The high cost of energy, of course, then has a knock-on impact on goods on almost everything because everything has to be delivered and there is a a knock-on price added to every single item that gets delivered around this um, uh, country. Also, the fact that we are a high-tax country, that comes into it. At at 23%, our main VAT rate is one of the highest in the Western world. It's around two percentage points higher than the EU average. So VAT and other taxes and levies explain why petrol, diesel and alcohol prices are all so expensive. And while excuses, says Charlie Weston, for high prices are plentiful, the bottom line is that we often get ripped off because competition is weak. Consumer protections are poor. Taxes on consumers are and high. So at the end of the day, what happens? We pay, we pay and we pay through the nose. So I think Charlie Weston as well would be backing up what Derek Cassidy of Bonkers.ie is saying. Is there now time to have a cabinet minister who would be a minister for consumer affairs fighting for us? 0818 103 103. Your thoughts welcomed. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862. 103, 103. When I'm talking about the high cost of everything and how this country now 40% higher than the EU average. We're up there uh, with the wonderful people from Denmark. Uh, William in North Cork buys silage wrap. He says there's two shops in his local area that sells it. He went into one and then he checked the price at another and he got it at €8 a roll cheaper. The difference, the two shops in his own uh, town. He said he was also looking for a part for his mower. The most expensive price he was quoted was €295, but he ended up getting it for €180 by shopping around. So he says it does really, really pay to shop around. There are savings to be made. You need to put the work in. Okay, thank you for that, uh, William. And Christy Moore, live at the Marquee on this Saturday night. We have another pair of tickets which we'll give away to the show a little bit later on on the programme. As we'll be doing all week, I will play you a clip of a Christy Moore song. If you can identify the title of the song, we'll be getting you to text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. If you are a Christy Moore fan, stay tuned. You might be winning those tickets to go see him live at the Marquee next Saturday night. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818-103-103. Calls to the Money Advice and Budgeting Service MABS have now reached levels not seen since the depths of the recession a decade ago as middle-income households struggle to deal with skyrocketing price increases. Joining me from MABS is Ursula Collins and Ursula is the Regional Manager with MABS. Good morning, Chair Ursula. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me. Well, you're very welcome. Now, a decade ago, during the last recession, we had unemployment uh, running at 15%. Nothing like that, thankfully, this time. Is the big difference this time 
the people who are contacting you are people who are out at work every day. Yeah, um, uh, certainly we have seen a significant shift, uh, whereas previously the majority of people we would have supported would have been people on very low incomes, people relying on uh, social welfare primarily. And now we have seen, as of the end of, of last year, a significant shift to people who are out of work every day, doing their best to make ends meet. Um, but as we all know, and with some of the reports you've mentioned there this morning, um, such significant increases across all costs, um, they're just finding it impossible. And would this time of year, sort of May, June, July, traditionally, would they be quiet times for your service? Yeah, typically we would see a spike kind of post-Christmas. Uh, Christmas can be a very expensive time for families. And then we would see a spike again in September when people are, again, for families, um, we do support people across all age categories, but typically families would incur a lot of additional costs back to school. So we would, we would see spikes in those times. It is not typical for us to see a spike at this time. Rising cost of energy, uh, Ursula, is that something a lot of your callers are talking about? Yeah, um, I suppose consistently, and I would say for the last year and rising, it's the cost of utilities across the board, um, also rental, and uh, some concern now emerging in the last uh, few weeks around personal debt and mortgage um, increases imminent. So people, I suppose, getting quite anxious about what's coming down the road and looking to put their affairs in order as best they can, so reaching out to us at this stage which is a very proactive thing to do. Absolutely, so 100%. Yeah, you know. Because, I, I, I mean, I take it many households have very little discretionary spending, so little leeway if an yeah. unexpected bill arrives. That's it, absolutely. And again, uh, you know, there are options out there. One of the main things that we do in MABS is to try to do a budget for people and to uh, maximise people's incomes. So there are, the government has been um, announcing additional needs payments and, and uh, doing a campaign there on the radio about that in the last couple of weeks. So additional needs payments um, is fairly broad. So again, if you come to us, we can look at your situation, uh, do a budget, look at uh, would an additional needs payment application through the community welfare officers uh, be useful for you. Um, look at any other options in terms of income maximisation. Um, for example, people with uh, students in the household, the, they can now earn up to six and a half thousand, which out is impacting, which would be a significant help. You yeah, know, I heard, I heard that announced. I heard that announced uh, this yeah. week by um, Simon Harris. That that's going to make a difference, isn't it, for students? It will make a difference, and I suppose. You know, whilst our focus is on uh, money advice and budgeting, we do take a holistic view in looking at societal demands. And I guess we're looking at, you know, you've got other pressures in employment areas like hospitality. Uh, a lot of students, you know, would look at hospitality as a possible option, particularly now coming up to the summer. You know, they could go out and um, perhaps uh, take up some employment and that would help to get them through the leaner months in the winter. Mm. Um, you have other things like the rent-a-room scheme, again, looking at the housing issue yeah. in the country, which is a huge one. Uh, an individual with a room in their house can earn up to €14,000 per annum um, tax-free. So irrespective of if you're in the higher tax bracket or under, um, you can earn that amount of money tax-free. 
So that's another tip that we would uh, advise people on. Um, under the utilities, we're always advocating that people should look at changing their utilities annually. Um, I did my own there very recently. As I said, we, we all have a budget to, to, to try to manage within and I know that the you know it, it can make very significant savings just um, switching uh, from one supplier to another every twelve months. Yeah, um, and that's always the advice that comes from like all the and yeah. and it's made so easy by those comparison websites. It, it isn't is. it isn't as hard as it used to be. It is. I mean, Switcher.ie would be one of them. Um, you you know you need to have a little bit of information to hand your you know your account number, your your kind of usage, etc. Um, but nothing that isn't on the first page of your bill, whether it be an email bill or a hard copy bill that you're in receipt of, you'll find that information there. And again, if in any doubt, um, we're mabs.ie, so that's M-A-B-S dot I-E, and you can find your local office or we have WhatsApp um, or National Helpline, lots of options for contacting us. And, you know, we can advise you and talk you through all these processes to um, get on top of your finances really as best you can because uh, it is very challenging that we're not going you know it is extremely challenging across the board for everyone at the moment yeah and because costs are rising Ursula almost on a weekly uh, basis can it sometimes be hard to stick to that budget it can of course and whereas we would have typically you know we'd do a budget for people we'd recommend they do a budget kind of coming into to the start of the year whereas now the cost as we know every time you go to fill up on fuel um, the price is changing you know so yeah it may be a situation that you have to revisit um, your budget more frequently and see what is essential and you know again as I said there are other options out there additional needs payments etc that may be able to help if there's um, unanticipated expenses your car breakdown yeah. or something like that yeah know? because you know even when you go to the supermarket if you're doing your, your big weekly shop like week on week everything seems to be going up because you see yeah. even if you don't know the individual price of things yeah. you'll know when you get to the checkout I've nothing yeah. additional in there and yet it's, an, it's a ten or more than it was last week the one thing I've noticed when I'm out and about doing shopping so many more people are arriving with a shopping list which I think yeah. is if you stick to your you know what you need and just stick to what's on your list yeah, yeah, there's some broad tips, um, you know, certainly um, shopping around, you know, we have a, a great number of um, suppliers now in the market and I think certainly shopping around, seeing what's on special offer, um, you know, menu planning for the week, particularly if you have a number of people in the household, that will make a significant difference and it'll cut down on, you know, food waste, you mm. know, none of us wants to be throwing food out for, for a load of reasons at the moment, but particularly um, to, to, to save on what, what we're losing in the supermarket. And Ursula, are you hearing from people who would never, ever have thought that they would need to use a service like MAPS? We are, and I suppose what we always say to people is all of us have been in financial difficulties at some time in our life. We all have families where people have been out of work or people have had rental or mortgage difficulties. So, you know, managing your finances is a life skill. And we go out everything from transition year students where we do Global Money Week and we go out to transition year students to try to teach them the life skill of budgeting. 
and we have people coming to us who didn't have the benefit of that. So it really is a life skill and everyone needs to have it and we're all in the course of our lives going to be faced with challenges around managing within our, our budgets, you know. So it affects all of us yeah. and it's a perfectly normal thing. Pick up the phone and as that get in control of your budget and uh, we will ensure that we're maximising the income coming into the household for you. Well done. Well done. You're a terrific organisation and I know we've sent more people who've contacted this programme your way and I, um, I've lost count of the number of people who've come back you saying, saying only for MABS, only for, 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 for MABS. Because I know people get embarrassed by all of this and yeah. don't want to you know it, it's not an easy thing to talk about that that I'm that, you know I'm struggling at the moment but it's to know that there's a service like yours it's there yeah. to help you know reach out you mentioned mabs.ie you have local offices all over we the do. place we do and if you go on to mabs.ie if you just click on the about tab at the bottom of that there's a find a mabs office and if you put in cork or Kerry or whatever it is you're based it will give you the list of local offices. You also have an option then if you don't want to call into a local office for whatever reason, you can phone our national helpline, which is also listed on the website. And we also have WhatsApp. Um, so there's a variety of ways Waste. you can connect well with us, depending on your own, um, you know, what suits you best. Are you fearful, Ursula, that it's going to get worse or that you're going to be busier in the months ahead? Uh, we are certainly monitoring the situation. Um, we have, I suppose, we were providing services throughout COVID as essential service providers. Um, so we were in and out of the offices as allowed under the various restrictions. So we have been monitoring the situation. There are a number of factors that are of concern presently. And um, we are continuing to look at our capacity to respond to people as the months ahead uh, roll out but the, you know there's a number of factors again outside of our control the European interest rates impacting on mortgages yeah. the global food crisis impacting on fuel and you know your grocery shop as well in terms of transport getting food to the table you know um, so yeah we're certainly keeping an eye on the situation I think our main message to people is we've all come out of a very difficult and anxious period and the best thing to do now is to pick up the phone Reach uh, out. Get online, reach out to us yeah. and make sure that you're in the best position possible to face whatever the challenge is. Yeah, don't, be don't bury your on. head in the sand because it's, yeah. it's, it's not and going it's, to go it's away. It's very natural to, you know, put the letter away. And as I said, we've all come through a very difficult period. Very natural to, to want to, you know, it all to go away. Um, but we would say, you know, get in touch with us, have a chat. And we'll advise you. And it is always just advice. You can decide then what meets your lifestyle best and what elements of the advice you're going to to adopt. Oh, well done, all of you at Mabs. You're the real unsung uh, heroes that I'm always, you well, just don't get praised you. enough. You really thank don't. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wow. You're very kind. And congratulations to yourself too. You were mentioned earlier uh, on the nomination. John Paul is going to, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Just to get nominated is great. You talking to you over the years in, in various community capacities, I must say, you know, you've always been particularly um, good at giving a voice to 
uh, organisations well, thank who, you. who provide services to the community. So thank you, Patricia. Well, that is kind that. of you to say it. Ursula, we leave it there. Thanks a million. <laughs> thank Have a you, good Patricia. day. Thanks bye for joining now, us. Bye that bye. is uh, Ursula Collins, who is the regional manager with uh, MABS, MABS.ie. Please reach out if you're struggling at the moment. John in Clonakilty says, Patricia, on the price of petrol. Last week, the barrel of oil on the world market was $1.23. Today, it's gone down to $1.10. It went up the last two two weeks every day at the pumps while the oil was rising on the world market. Now it's dropped $13 a barrel. And guess what? No drop at the pumps. Come on, guys. Start to reduce the price at the pumps. And that's from John in Clonakilty. 0818 103 103. Bernie taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. Now at a recent meeting of the Cork City Joint Policing Committee, a senior Garda rejected suggestions that people are afraid to visit or socialise in the city centre. Despite a number of violent brawls recently, they were widely shared on social media. So to chat about just how safe are our streets of the city, I'm joined by Fine Gael, uh, Senator Jerry Bottomer. Good morning to you, Jerry. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the programme. Would you agree that there is a perception, or whether that perception is right or wrong, that there's a perception that the city isn't safe, especially at night? Well, there is that perception, and whether we like it or not, uh, perception is part of what forms opinion. Um, and, for example, Liam Hogan in the Mieko um, reporting on a court case on Monday uh, quoted uh, a dodge, um, Helen Boyle, when she said citizens of Cork should be able to walk through the city without fear of being assaulted or even having to witness one. That was Justice Helen Boyle, a, a circuit judge, in, in the court case uh, on Monday in Cork City. So I, I, I've made the point that, this is that uh, for me, we live in a wonderful place. We have a fantastic city. You know, we have the best of food, the best of, of tourist offerings, uh, wonderful people. Uh, and and there's four parts to what I said and what I intend, what I what, what I I'm looking to achieve in my contribution on Monday to JPC. But I've made a point in general. One is the public realm uh, must always be upgraded and 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 kept in pristine condition. And to be fair, Cork City Council do a good job in that in terms of Cork City, as do Cork County Council with the with the wonderful volunteers of our Taddy Towns Association. Secondly, we have an element of dereliction in the city, in particular, needs to be addressed whether through the Urban Regeneration Fund, the Living Over the Shop Scheme, or, or other funds that can be used to attack attack dereliction. Uh, and again, there, there's been proactivity by City Council, but I think it needs to be enhanced. Then thirdly, there is a need for us as a, as a country in keeping with a global shift uh, around uh, the use of our centre of city in the case of Cork City. So obviously, there's a challenge with retail in, in the global world today, People are not no longer buying on High Street. They're moving online or moving to suburban shopping centres. Um, so I think we need to look at how we can reimagine Cork City in our case. And we've done it successfully during COVID with the outdoor dining. Uh, and I would hope that we could do that again further. And then fourthly uh, is the whole issue of the model of policing. Uh, and my, my, my comments on Monday were not and should not be construed uh, as being a, a criticism of Garda Shekhanah. But I do believe, Patricia, that we need to have a model of policing that is high in visibility, uh, that is strong in terms of the Garda presence in the centre of our city, especially. And I say that for a number of reasons. One, 
the Garda presence and a high Garda presence will 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 certainly force people to think about their behaviour and and not to necessarily engage in antisocial behaviour. Secondly, keeping in mind the remarks of the judge on Monday, where we we should be able to work with our fear of being attacked or or, or even having to witness one in our city, uh, then that requires a presence at, at certain times. Uh, and then I, I, Councilman Michael Newton of Sinn Féin made a very interesting proposition that I had thought about myself for a long time, was the kiosks around the city centre that are lying idle, uh, one or two of them are idle, I believe, uh, could be used uh, as a guard of one-stop shop, uh, as a place, uh, a bit like a tourist office, but a guard of presence where people can, can go to if they're in trouble or in need of, of, of guard assistance. And it, 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 it needn't be manned the whole time. It can be manned intermittently on, on certain hours during the day. So I think it's, it's, it's about all those four strands being put together to inc- increase the offering that we as a city have. And I'm talking about Cork City in particular. Yeah, but you, you mentioned Garda visibility. It's the one thing that will come up constantly here in this programme if anybody's talking about being in an area, be it in the city or be it in one of our county towns or villages where they didn't feel safe. They'll always say, oh, there's never a Garda on the beach. Where are all the Garda? And at that joint policing uh, m- meeting, I mean, it was, it was actually admitted, was it, there, there's 15 fewer Garda than there was three years ago. So there are less Garda. According to the Tick Super last Monday, there are less Gardaí, and that, that that needs to be addressed because uh, you know I think we all recognise that Cork, as as the second city in terms of population outside of Dublin, requires a, a substantial Garda presence, um, and and that is something that we need to address from a government governmental point of view, but also from a policing perspective from the Garda Commissioner and and the outgoing Lord Mayor, uh, Councillor Colin Kelleher has asked that the Garda Commissioner would come and address. The joint policing committee, and I think that is an imperative that the Garda Commissioner will come down and talk and meet with the members of the Garda. Okay, just move slightly. Your phone is just, 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 just move slightly. Because there was wasn't there a, a recent allocation of new recruits? There was, and I, I haven't got the figures to hand, but there, there was an allocation, and some of it was given to, to places like Carrigan rather than the city centre, which is fair enough because the population base in Carrigan warrants the merit enhanced Garda presence down there. But I think the city centre is a unique place. We have the nighttime economy. It's, 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 it's the working heart of the city. It's central business district. It's where people come in the main to socialise at the weekends but also during the week. Um, but I think it's important that, that we have a, a model of policing that delivers uh, on behalf of the citizens, on behalf of the industry, whether it's the, the, the nighttime economy or, or whoever. Uh, and, and I and again, let me say, uh, I'm not criticising the Gardaí's corner. What I'm asking for, uh, and we are very fortunate that we have a very proactive Garda presence in our city and in our county, and, and the level of crime is, is quite low, and the level of, 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 of crime detection is quite high in Cork, and we're very lucky. But it is about ensuring the resources to, to, to the capital of the South uh, is, is, is given uh, priority uh, in terms of, of, of us as a, as a region, which is Cork. Yeah, and the, the sharing of street fights on social media, that doesn't help. No, it doesn't help at all. I mean, that, 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 is, that is part of the difficulty that we have. And, and it may be isolated cases, uh, and, and it may well be that. But again, it is that virtual, viral sharing of, of images or of, of videos that, 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 if you like, create an impression uh, and, and that, you know, cause uh, people to worry and to, to, to be concerned. 
Um, God knows and, Limerick had to fight really hard to get rid of their Stab City image that was there for so many years. They did, and they did it quite successfully. Yeah, but we're, yeah. we're, not, we're not at that level anymore no. here. No. What we, need, what we need to have is a city that is safe, uh, that, that is, that is um, about its people. We're a festival city. Uh, we, we, we have a great, you know, offering as a tourist attraction, whether it's Cove, whether it's West Cork, you know, the wider Bay, uh, you know, different aspects of, of, of what we can offer. So for me, it's about a collective approach to ensure that the perception does not grab hold and becomes that reality. Mm. Um, you know, we, we, we can look at incidents in their isolation, but I do accept that the city is a great place to be, but we can make it better. Uh, and we have issues. Now, again, there is the issue of parental responsibility, there's the issue of individual responsibility, um, and there is the issue that we must tackle about drinking on the street and about the whole issue of, of people who are who are professional beggars who are, who are, who are begging on the street and who are, in some cases, uh, you know, shipped in from, from different parts to, to, to be that professional beggar. Um, and, and, and we must ensure that our city is about its people, and that means all of its people. And that's why I have asked for the whole issue of the, you know, a, a citizens' assembly to be created to look at the future of Cork in terms of its, its public realm, in terms of how we can improve our image, how we can improve the living conditions of people, uh, and how we can make our city uh, a go-to place. Great idea, great idea. And uh, just and just finally, as you, as you mentioned, the city is so vibrant at the moment, particularly with all the outdoor dining and, and the socialising. And I was reading yesterday that the Lonely Planet Guide, only this week, warning people about the high cost of visiting uh, Dublin. And they were basically warning people off uh, Dublin. That could work to our benefit, couldn't it, here in uh, Cork? But we've got to make sure that we don't overprice ourselves like Dublin appears to be doing. Well, there is that issue, Patricia, and, and today we see Cork Airport celebrate 35 years of association with Ryanair. Uh, and on and, and Monday, the Rockets Transport Committee are visiting Cork Airport. And I think it's important, as you said, that in, 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 in a connectivity piece, that government aviation policy reflects on the importance of airports like Cork and that we take and try to entice airlines to use Cork Airport more. And then, equally, there's a piece of work that the, the whole tourism hospitality sector have to do in terms of cost. And, and, and obviously, their costs have increased. But, but there has to be a question mark about, in the case of Dublin especially, but also in some cases in Cork, the price of accommodation and, and how the price of, of eating out has escalated to the point it has, accepting that we have, we have an inflation and an energy crisis and a war in Ukraine that is driving uh, costs. But look, you know and I know, and you've heard in your programme, you know, whether it's car hire, whether it's accommodation in Dublin, it's escalated beyond a joke at this stage. And there needs to be serious questions asked as to how we can bring that back. Yeah, and we don't want the rest of the country tarred with Dublin's brush. No, and, and that's why in our case in Cork, we have a package that is, is un, 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 unbelievably strong in terms of the hospitality, in terms of tourism, in terms of attractions, like, you know, you take, you, you can start at Spikey's going to Valley Half Lake, you spoke to West Cork, you know, we could take a myriad of different um, holiday packages that we have in Cork uh, and that we can sell and promote. And, and central to that is the issue of cost, is the issue of connectivity with our airport and our port. To be fair, our port is a, is a wonderful offering as well. Uh, and, and I think if we can get all that right, that's why I think the Citizens' Assembly would be an extraordinary event to take place to come up with a plan 
working with the statute agencies, with the councils, with the, the Angarisi Connacht Tourism, and, and whoever, the chambers and the business associations, to make sure that what we have as a county and as a city is, is relative and is relevant to the, to the people who use and who come and visit as well, and to our, our, our citizens who live in Cork. Okay, well said. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, Jerry. thank you for that, thank and thanks you, uh, for joining us. Uh, good morning to that is uh, Fianna Gael Senator Jerry Buttermer, 0818103103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 086 103103. We're going to be looking at that report about accommodation that's available for rent, particularly for people who are on the HAP payment uh, scheme. Very low numbers of properties available for both families and for single people. We'll discuss that and more in the next hour. You can hear all of the biggest hits from this summer's headline acts non-stop. How do you do it? Well, the C103's Back Garden Festival is now streaming live with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. You can listen in on our app or you can go to c103.ie for the Back Garden uh, Festival. We were talking about the city in the last hour with Senator Jerry Bottomer. This was the Joint Policing Committee. They had a meeting on Monday. The Gardaí are saying that the city is a very safe place uh, but some of the can- some of the councillors and some of the people attending that meeting were saying there's a perception out there that it isn't a very safe place and I was saying has it anything to do with those videos that were shared on social media there was two recently very violent brawls one of them in broad daylight and remember we discussed one where an elderly man got knocked over and he just got involved he got knocked to the ground Okay, a little bit of a power cut there our apologies but we're we're back online anyway I was talking about uh, what Jerry Bottomer was saying in the last hour about Cork City and is there a perception out there that the city is just not safe and it's be, I, I think it's got something to do with the social media posts that went up you know showing fights on, on our street and that elderly man who got knocked to the ground and had to be taken to hospital because he just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and of course when people start seeing those videos and the videos get shared people you know some people think oh my god is that what the city is like and, and of course it's not like that all of the time and so do we have to work on the perception of the city and are there parts of the city that need to be cleaned up and that's why listening uh, to Senator Jerry Bottomer he thinks you know we need a very holistic approach to the uh, city and to make it uh, the the vibrant wonderful city that it is well a listener says I was listening to talking about Cork uh, City and just to let you know I did pay a visit there last Sunday evening it was about six o'clock and I was walking around the centre of the, the city I felt says this listener that it just looked so dirty there was people sleeping in uh, doorways and then added to that the number of shops that are closed and boarded up. I really do agree, says this texter, that something needs to be done to clean up our city and to to make it the bright, vibrant, beautiful city that it is. Thank you for that. That's by WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Now, some of your calls in. During the week, we have been talking, I think it came up last week as well on the programme, it's certainly on Monday we had a couple of calls in from people who had gone to visit a grave- graveyard and particularly on Monday because last Sunday was of course Father's Day and people who've lost their fathers fathers are no longer with us decided that they go and you know visit the graves of their fathers and some people were talking about exceptionally tidy and clean and well maintained graveyards but then others were ringing in and they were citing graveyards that really haven't they looked a bit neglected and that haven't had any cut done to them uh, this year well that prompted John to contact us this morning who is on a CE scheme with the Avondu Blackwater 
uh, and part and his job along with others on the scheme is to cut the grass in graveyards and this is right across the North Cork area he wants to point out he gets paid 230 euro per week as part of this CE scheme out of that though he has to pay for all of his own expenses he doesn't get a medical card he doesn't get health insurance and because of the rising cost of petrol and diesel it is now costing him on average 60 euro per week just to go to work there's only three of them doing the job and he said he gives some examples he says it's over two years since Ballyclaw graveyard was cut so when they went in last week to cut the grass he said the grass was waist high in Ballyclaw graveyard he said it took them a whole week to get the graveyard cut back and have it having looking good again and then he said in Glenville a graveyard that was completely overgrown again he said it's taken nearly a week for them to cut it back and he says remember this is back breaking work particularly bearing in mind the money that these lads are getting paid 230 euro a week Uh, he wants to point out it isn't council workers that are doing the the job it's people on CE scheme John and his workmates were quite upset about some of the comments that came into the programme last week and this week about the work being done in graveyards John wants to point out that he and his team take great care to make sure that graveyards are neat and tidy and also he said when they're doing their work they have great respect for the graves and he said some of these graves are very neglected and have been neglected for years because many of them particularly in the older graveyards and the older graves in the graveyards have nobody alive to care for them and they make sure that they you know they act with great respect and do their very very best so he was upset and and listen I don't think anyone was having a dig John at you and the other members on that CE scheme I think what people were talking about and it's not your fault that there's only three of you doing all of that work we need a lot more people doing that work I think it was tied in with an interview that we did last week about the lack of outdoor staff it was a story that came out of West Cork but I did make the point that we could be having the same discussion anywhere across Cork County that there's not enough outdoor staff within the council and that when outdoor staff are retiring they're not being replaced and of course the knock on is that a lot of the work that the outdoor staff do is not getting done and there's contractors coming in to cut grass and not everybody's happy about contractors saying the council workers were better when they were cutting the grass and there was people giving out about that but certainly the graveyards people do get upset when they go in to visit the grave of a loved one and if you go in and it's waist high it just seems very disrespectful and that's not the fault of the guys on the CE scheme who are doing their best to get around to as many graveyards as possible and it does seem really crazy for the 230 euro that you get for taking part in the CE scheme that you're not being given anything towards the cost of actually getting to all of the individual uh, graveyards because petrol and diesel is rising all of the time. Thank you for your call uh, John to 0818 103 103 and keep up the great work that you and the other guys on the CE scheme are doing. And then Margaret near Inascara was on to us to say tomorrow is the traditional bonfire night. A bonfire night is I'm I, I'm right I think I'm right in saying it's more of a city thing than a county thing though it does stretch out to some parts of the county but certainly the traditional bonfire night tomorrow night the tw- the 23rd of June bonfire those traditional bonfires happen more more in the city anyway she is wondering would she be prosecuted if she decided to have a small bonfire in her own garden she said it was something that her family always did and she's thinking of just getting that tradition going again and having a small bonfire tomorrow now I'm very slow to tell you Margaret she'll light the bonfire away you'll be fine you won't be prosecuted because when I checked online with Cork County Council 
they say that backyard burning is a nuisance to neighbours, it pollutes the air and it can pose a health risk. It's also an offence that can incur a fine of up to €3,000. So I'm very slow to tell you you should go away and light it and nobody will know you've even had your bonfire and then somehow you get cut out and you get you get prosecuted. So it's going to be an individual choice. But you, what you have to bear in mind is while you might have the bonfire, your neighbours mightn't be that happy with it. They might see it as a nuisance. They'll see it as an air pollutant. And what if they report you? So you've a, a lot of things to weigh up. But I'm certainly very slow to tell you to do something that technically, yes, you could get prosecuted for. And then thank Paul Jerry in Farron was on to us. Not happy today at all. He went along. He wanted to watch the hurling match in Clodov last night. That was the Carberry versus Muskery game. But when he got to the turnstile, thought he could just hand over his money and go in. He discovered that the only way he could get into the match was to purchase a ticket online. Jerry says he's in his late 70s. He wouldn't even know how to go online to purchase a ticket. He feels it's now a huge barrier for elderly supporters. He has been following the GAA all of his life. Jerry, you're not the first to contact us about that. We were contacted last week by somebody who said there was a group of 25 people and they weren't all elderly uh, people who turned up to go to a match didn't realise that you had to purchase you could, the only way to get in was to purchase your ticket online and then there seemed to be some problem with the ticket master the GAA's ticket master we don't know whether it was the fact that the match had already started but people were outside and they couldn't get couldn't get online and they didn't know whether it was just some problem with broad with Wi-Fi and they weren't able to connect but there was 25 people at that match last week had to walk away very very disappointed now I know John Paul as I mentioned earlier is not with us today I know when we got those calls in about that match last week where at least 25 people went away without disappointed because they couldn't get into the match I know I'd asked John Paul to get a message through to the GAA to find out why they've opted to do this ticketing online and is there any other way that people can purchase a, a ticket to get to see matches because there will be people like Jerry in Farron who are not online and are not tech savvy and don't want to be asking other people. I know there's always the argument you couldn't ask somebody else to get the ticket for you. Not everybody wants to do that and not everybody is happy to do that. So as I say, I did ask John Paul to get on to the GAA but I'll check back in with John Paul tomorrow because he did. He certainly, if he did get a response he didn't pass it on to me which leads me to believe he didn't get a response because he'd always pass on any responses uh, like that. OA. 18103103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862103103 and just a quick text when we were talking about cost of living and everything going up Nora says Patricia remember back in 2002 when the euro replaced the pound the, there was an ad on television at the time saying the change will be in your pocket where's the change in our pockets now? wonders Nora and even then when we switched from the punt to the euro Nora reckons everything went up in price C103 Jobs The MCR group they are looking for a full time snagger that's for Kinsale you can log into www.mcrgroup.ie forward slash jobs Rigid truck driver with a C licence is wanted for Mallow. CVs please to douglas at acravat.ie. Home care worker required. It's for the Alzheimer's Society and it's to work in the North Cork area. Email CVs to recruit at alzheimer.ie. 
and electricians wanted to work right across parts of Cork City. CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818-103-103. And Mary has just uh, WhatsApp to say, Patricia, I just heard you mention about the grass cutting in the graveyards. This was John who's on the CE scheme. He was upset that people were complaining about graveyards and he was making the point there's three of them on a CE scheme. This is in the North Cork area doing the very best that they can. Mary says, our local graveyards are kept so well. Now, I don't know where... Mary is texting from but she says our local graveyards are kept so well. I was visiting my relative's grave only last week and there was two men in the graveyard cutting the grass. So I approached them and I said thank you for the hard work in keeping everything so neat and tidy. You could see by their reaction that they really appreciated that simple thank you. I also think, says Mary, that some people could attend to their own graves and not leave the work to others. Now, I really do appreciate that this doesn't apply to everyone, says Mary. And in fairness to John, our, uh, the, the gentleman cutting the grass, he did say that um, there are some graves where they know themselves, very old graves, nobody left locally to look after the, the graves so they they are completely unkept so there will be some graves that, that there is just nobody there to look after them but you're right there are others who could do their bit and could go and maintain and look after their own grave and for whatever reason they don't but I suppose there are people who just don't like to go to graveyards I was watching I don't know how many people watched the programme with Baz Ashmawe and his fabulous mother Nancy when they were talking about her end of life and what she would like after well it's not end of life what she'd like after she has died and they looked at the whole thing of around funerals in this country it was a really really good uh, programme but I thought it was really interesting when they went to visit her mother's grave and now obviously it's not she lives in Dublin and, and it was in was it in County Mayo and so she obviously doesn't get to visit the grave because she'd problem even locating her mother's uh, grave but I thought for, for Baz it was his who had been partially raised by his grandmother and he was 13 when his grandmother died and he was so upset at the death of his grandmother he didn't go to the funeral at the time and he'd never visited her grave and here he was back two years ago as a 44 year old man visiting his beloved grandmother's grave for the first time. And I have to say, it was he got really upset. But he, he was somebody who just doesn't like to visit graveyards. And there are people who don't like to visit graveyards for whatever reason. There's others take great comfort from visiting graveyards. And people, I think, who take great comfort from visiting graveyards, Mary, are the people uh, who, who you're not talking about because they are the people who will always maintain and really look after their graves and then they get upset if there's a grave beside their well-maintained, well-kept one. They will get very upset then if the grave isn't maintained because, you know, they can end up having rubbish being uh, thrown over onto their grave as well. So it's a, it's a, there's a variety of reasons why people maintain graves and those that don't. But can I say to you, Mary, 
well done to you for calling out the great work on behalf of those two men who were cutting the grave in that graveyard and thank you for sharing your thoughts with us on 0862 103 103 now an analysis of properties available to rent on daft.ie across the country It was by Labour's housing spokesperson, Senator Rebecca Moynihan. It's revealed that just 820 homes are available, suitable for families and are worrying 182 properties available for single people. That's under the HAP scheme. Now, that was across the entire country. Cork East Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock uh, joins me with his views on this. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. Now, across Cork County on that breakdown from Senator Rebecca Moynihan, 43 homes available for families uh, with, with only 18 in uh, the city. Are you hearing of many people struggling to find accommodation to rent? Absolutely. And we are, I've never seen anything like it in terms of housing representations. Uh, it is the most challenging. Uh, normally, we would have had a steady state of you know, housing representations on behalf of people. But what we've noticed in the last year or so in particular is that there are no places available to rent under the HAP scheme. If you look at DAFT, the DAFT.ie website this morning, you'll see that, for instance, in the Mallow area, there's only one house available. We're at Cormac, one house, Watergrass Hill, one house, Cove, three houses. You know, and then you look at Middleton, Yall and Killa, and, and there are no houses available. And what I'm noticing in particular is that there has been a remarkable spike upwards in the number of people who are coming to us now saying that they've received notices to quit their properties. In other words, their landlords uh, are either selling on or uh, they are doing renovation works or else they're, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're maybe need them for, for, for family members, for instance. So I've never seen anything like it, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that, that the number of notices to quit, which is having a knock-on effect because... If you receive a notice to quit your property and you're receiving HAP, you, you have nowhere else to go right now. There is nothing available. And it's forcing people either into homelessness, where we're seeing cases where people now are seeking emergency accommodation, or we're also seeing circumstances where uh, you might have a family, uh, either a single parent with children or a, you know, a married couple or you know, two partners with maybe two or three children, and they're now being forced, I would say, back into the family home where maybe parents are older, uh, you know, they've gotten their houses back finally, and now they're, 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 they're taking on five or another Another people. entire family is, is moving in family. with them. And that's the one thing for, for people, just explain under, under HAP, it, the, the recipient of HAP, they have to find their own properties. They have to find. There's no placement service, uh, you know. So if you're you're on the housing list, so you're waiting for the local authority to build the house, or you're waiting for the local authority to provide the house. But what we're seeing is, like, it's the perfect storm because you're seeing people moving out of the rental market, and then on top of that, then you're seeing not enough housing stock uh, being built. And so what we're not seeing in the last six years is an increase in the number of houses that are required to keep pace with the demand uh, for housing. Now, you know, there are large schemes coming on stream in places like Mallow, for instance, you know, where you'll have, uh, you know, private housing schemes of which a certain number of those will be 
designated for social housing. But the, the crux of all of this is that we just are not building enough houses to meet the demand that's there. And on top of that, and this is where the perfect storm is, you have what we call, you know, it's well noted, the incidental landlords who are finding that they're just they're getting out of property altogether. They might have had one house, you know, in addition to their own as an investment for their later years. Prices are good at the moment. They're selling up uh, and, you know, they're moving, they're cashing in uh, or, or, or they're making the house available to a family, a family. member. And, there, there, and there, there also is a problem, say, like uh, previous generations would have rented a house, say couples, would have rented a house and then they would have saved up and they would have bought their house and then the house they were rented becomes available available to the next couple or you know single person that wants to rent it we have a problem in that a lot of young people are not able to afford to buy houses so they're staying in the rental market longer than say previous generations would have they're staying in the rental market longer and and like there there are so many issues here there was always this stream you know you could always buy a house more or less wherever, not necessarily wherever you wanted to buy, but, you know, reasonably, but uh, within your own lo- locality, because there was always that a- availability of second-hand properties in particular. Uh, but now what we're seeing is that uh, if the supply isn't there, and then if people are, for instance, you know, they're, they're caught in places like Dublin, you know, the new working model is such now that they want to return to Cork, back to the home, you know, back to back to where they started, back to terra firma, as we'd say, or the holy ground. And, you know, they're finding that that, that supply uh, isn't there and they want to move home for quality of life reasons. So that's that's having an impact as well, uh, you know, in terms of the demand. But but then, you know, we are in a situation where if, if we don't have a local authority housing programme where you lose, the local authority has lost the capacity to build houses itself, the local authority is relying now on the market to provide the housing, and it's 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 also relying on housing associations to provide uh, occupancies for uh, you know for for those who are on the local authority housing list. So th- again, it's the perfect storm. And until such time as we build more houses in this country, then we're going to have a major challenge. And what we're also what I'm also witnessing is that you, you now have a lot more third-party appeals against planning applications, and that's everybody's right. You know, people have the right to do that. But we had a particular challenge, for instance, in North Cork, where because of a, a designation of the European pearl mussel mm. or the Blackwater pearl mussel, that was having an impact as well in relation to whether or not you were meeting what they call special area of conservation designations in relation to water quality and whether or not, for instance, you know, you could build houses then. And, you know, we were being told that you can't build houses because there's a certain designation. You need adequate water and wastewater. You know, thankfully, that is being addressed, for instance, in in a town like Mallow, where you now have an upgraded wastewater treatment plant, which should feed into the, you know, availability of housing stock because there is land zones so you'd hope the developers would come in and start developing those lands and similarly in other towns so but what we're not seeing and and like we're six years out of government but what we're not seeing is is any flattening of that curve in relation to supply and what i'm witnessing 
like it, it, I've never seen anything like it actually Patricia the amount of people who are coming to me saying we've received a notice to quit and then we have people on top of that who are in properties under HAP where the property hasn't been inspected by the local authority and to be fair to the local authority you know they're they haven't been able to carry out in-person inspections on a lot of um, HAP properties. But I have cases where, uh, uh, to describe the properties as being something out of the 17th century would be, you know, wouldn't be exaggerating. And thankfully, there's more and more inspections happening. But even when inspections happen, you know, there, there are landlords in, in towns who are commanding €1,200 Euros for properties that are absolutely well below par. Most landlords that I meet are absolutely very proud of their properties and make sure that the tenants are looked after. But there's but always still... the rogue few. There's always there the rogue are, few. There, there and I know, we, I know we would hear, I mean, we've had some heartbreaking stories here into the programme from people who get that letter or that phone call from the landlord to say that they have to quit and just, you know, going to every length possible to try and find another suitable property uh, in their area. But we also hear from people who are in private rented accommodation that isn't up to scratch and they're too afraid to complain because they say, if I complain and and the landlord decides to, well, I'm, I'm going to get out of the rental market, where will I go? And that's it. And when I speak to the local authority, they'll say, look, yeah, we'll do an inspection on the property, uh, you know, but it's it's not going to do any good because there won't be any alternative private rented accommodation yeah, yeah. available to the person. And and so there isn't a day that goes by that people like me are not, are having you know conversations with the local authority. They will hope in the name of goodness that we're going to meet, you know, the needs of of these people. And I think it all comes back to supply. I think there needs to be greater urgency in relation to the supply of housing. Now, you know, and if, whether we like it or not, that's going to involve, you know, schemes of 300 houses, 400 houses in, in areas, in larger towns in particular, and smaller schemes in and smaller settlements where, you know, you have 20 or 30 houses, because that's the only way you're going to create an impact locally, uh, you know, for people to get in, onto the housing ladder and get a roof over their heads. And that's going to take time. But, yeah. Does, but the, we, does the HAP scheme need to be looked at? I mean, I was looking at the, at the figures for last... Hello. Sorry, we've, we're we're having power cuts and we're cutting in and out. Can you hear me? Okay, now, Sean. I, I have yeah, you perfect. there again. Yeah. Okay. So um, I was saying, does the HAP scheme need to be looked at? I was looking at figures. I was trying to get the updated figures. The figures for last year, more than five hundred million. That's a, a half a billion euro was spent last year through HAP. Now, many people will say that it builds a lot of houses. It, it would build a lot of houses, but but even if you were to maintain that spend on HAP, uh, there is still billions available for housing. That's what we're being told by the Minister, that there is no shortage of money for housing. But what we're frustrated by is that if there is no shortage of money for housing, uh, and if the Minister, as he seems to be saying to us, is that you know the market will, will, will provide and you know the state will intervene to provide monies, but let the market build those houses because local authorities can no longer build houses. What we're finding is that, you know, they're telling us that it's supply materials, costs, inflationary pressures, you know, all of that is that is having a bearing. And, and I'm not, you know, giving you the wisdom of Solomon here because I think everybody on the street, you know, would know that anyway. Uh, but what we're not seeing is the energy needed 
by government to ensure that more houses come on stream. We still have, throughout North and East Cork, and throughout the county of Cork, a plethora of underused housing stock or unused housing stock. Now, there, there was in local authority language this, you know, tranche of housing that was called, they were called voids. Yeah. Voids were houses that were unoccupied. Yeah. And not all of those are filled and could be filled. Uh, because people will take houses if the houses become available. And yet and every time we get onto the council, they say, oh, we've little or no voids, we're renting them out. And yet every time we mention them on the programme, we'll have listeners co- coming on. Only last week we did it, somebody saying, I'm in the, in a housing estate, I've got a void on either side of me. Somebody else was on to say they count six in their area. I mean, there are voids. There are voids. There's no no question about that. And our own eyes can tell us that there are voids. And I could tell you exactly where they are as well. And so those need to be released because that will take a little bit, but it won't take a massive amount of pressure off the system. Uh, they need to be released. But it all boils down to a spending programme that builds houses. And I can't understand why there is such a lag time now between, uh, you know, given the fact to be fair, Fine Gael have been in government now for a good tranche of years. Like, and I know we were in government from 11 to 16, but we didn't have money to be able to spend on, on housing at that stage. But we're six years out of it now. And in that six years, you would have expected that there would be progress on providing, uh, you know, supply. And and if if the cost of living crisis is being used as an excuse, in the la- the cost of living crisis hasn't been here for the last six years. There are quite a number of those last six years where, you know, there weren't pressures, international pressures, where, you know, you didn't have a pandemic, where, you know, from 2016, 2017, 2018, you could have started, you know, a really radical programme and a lot of that demand would have been met now as we speak. So we, we just... Uh, we keep pressing the, 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 the minister on it. The minister, as far as we're concerned, needs to be made more aware of what's happening in areas like Cork, because sometimes I find that it, it's a very Dublin-centric view of the world that is being put forward by government, and that if it can be sorted in Dublin, then everything is OK. But what, what I don't feel is that the minister has an awareness, a full awareness of the challenges. Just how bad it is. And, bu- and build the houses. And, build the houses. And, All right. And, 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 and if it just to conclude, I, I mean, if I take a town like Mitchestown, like I'm, I'm blue in the face. This is a classical example where if you build out the wastewater treatment infrastructure and capacity for wastewater, there is local demand there, and there is the capacity within Mitchestown by local developers actually to provide provide housing as well. That's a, just a typical and example. That's just one of town. town. Okay. All right, listen, we'll talk again, Sean. In the meantime, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning to you. That is Cork East Labour Doll Deputy uh, Sean uh, Sherlock. Somebody said um, some, a lot of people, so I'll change that to some people, are reluctant to rent houses to people because some tenants do not keep houses properly. And when they move out, it costs the landlord a huge sum of money to refurbish the house again. I wouldn't rent to anyone for that reason. Well, like when we spoke about you can have bad landlords, we also have exceptionally good uh, landlords landlords but there's also bad landlords it's the same with tenants you'll get fantastic tenants who look after a property like it's their own but unfortunately you'll get rogue tenants who just won't give a damn about the, about the property and that's just unfortunately a fact of life 0818 103 103
Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 103. For two nights next week, a brand new show will be staged at a brand new amazing venue. Newmarket native actor Michael Patrick will be amongst the cast for a special tribute to the poetry of Bernard O'Donoghue. It'll be at the Uncultural Lawn in Newmarket and Michael Patrick joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Well, you're very welcome to the programme. Is there something very special about returning to your hometown to do a show? Yeah, there is. Um, Especially when you see the venue. It's it's just stunning. It's uh, it's an old converted church. Um, The McAuliffe clan gather every four years. They're the the chieftains here historically. And they're gathering this weekend. But uh, John Paul McAuliffe, who's an Australian man who's ancestors come from this area bought the old church and, and renovated it and it's it's just an amazing venue so this is the perfect show for, for the venue as well yeah it's what it's board. what it, it, other towns look on in envy of having a center like that in in town it, it really is quite special now the show is called the O'Donoghue I suppose tell me a little bit about Bernard Bernard O'Donoghue who was born in Cullen yeah he was born and raised in Cullen and then later moved to Manchester and then became a professor of medieval English in Oxford University. Um, and his poetry is, uh, like uh, poetry might be a bit misleading because I think it's beyond poetry. It's, it's very much of this region and it it's the perfect representation of who we are, where we come from. Um, and I've, I've never seen anything representing my region on, on the page in the written word like this. Uh, yeah, it's almost like he's taken the old Shanaki style of storytelling and elevated it to an art form of itself. Um, so it's it's lighthearted in places, it's fun, uh, and then it's reflective and sorrowful in places as well. So there's there's a lot of there's a long journey there through the show. And who wrote the show? Uh, Jeff Gould and I ah. curated more than wrote because the show is is all of Bernard's words uh, mixed with sleeve lucre music provided by Owen Stan O'Sullivan, who's the sleeve lucre musician in residence. And Gino Lupari, who's a baron player and percussionist from County Derry. Uh, so Jeff and I took what we thought would be a good journey through Bernard's work from the beginning through the middle to the reflective stage later later on in his career. Um, so the, the biggest issue was we had to leave out some really good stuff um, <laughs> because there just wasn't enough time and space to fit everything in. But I love the fact that you are mixing it with local music. Yeah, and well, I think we got that from the work itself because there's, for instance, uh, Scully's Bar in Newmarket, traditional Irish pub where lots of traditional Irish sessions happened and storytelling and poetry. And Bernard is a, a, a frequent visitor of Scully's. And there is a poem called Two Fiddlers at Scully's, which is about Raymond O'Sullivan and Tim Brown. And Raymond is Owen Stan O'Sullivan's father. So there's all those kind of serendipitous connections that happened that we didn't, we weren't aware of before we started. Um, so, so traditional music is a big part of Bernard's upbringing and his work, and he's still a fan. And were you always very aware of Bernard's work? Uh, no, I wasn't. Uh, actually, Jeff Gould, a number of years ago, introduced me to, to Bernard, and I instantly fell in love with it because it's it's exactly who I am and where I come from, and it yeah. it represents my, my region and my people perfectly. Um, so, and, and Jeff has been a fan for, for years. And that's why staging it in on Culture Lawn in Newmarket is, as you say, the perfect setting for it. Yeah, it's perfect. And this t- 
town and this region historically uh, always had live entertainment and for various reasons over the last number of years that's fallen off a bit and I think the people of this region and this this town of Newmarket deserve to have the best entertainment at their doorstep and not have to travel for it. They've always had it, but for some reason, over the last number of years, it's fallen away. Uh, so it's exciting that it's, that we have the venue, and it's exciting to be able to bring people from around the country and bring them together to to perform in Newmarket. Yeah, and of course, as we're slowly coming back out of the pandemic and uh, venues like this are able to open up and, and, and whatever, are, are, is it busy there or are they getting many events? Yeah, they are. Brilliant. Um, like I've been at two events. I've been at a Pat Fleming launch and the Liam O'Connor played here as well and both were packed out. I heard the Liam O'Connor one was quite special. I heard that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, both both shows were were special, and both were completely full. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, it's it's you know, and 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 this this will be no different. It's it's just it's exciting. I've just come out of rehearsals to do the to chat to you, uh, and it's the first time like we've rehearsed with the actors separate to the musicians previously, just because of geography. But this is the first morning that the musicians and actors have been in the same room, and it's, I'm just buzzing with excitement. Ah, uh, brilliant, brilliant. And it's 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 just for for two nights. It's Tuesday and Wednesday of next week, isn't it? Yes, Tuesday the twenty eighth, twenty eighth, and Wednesday. And, Wednesday. and is that it, or will you have you any other plans to put the show on anywhere else? Uh, we don't have plans at the moment because the whole idea was to to honor the poet. Uh, okay. Because uh, nothing of this scale has been done for him in his in his home region, and we that, that was the the primary function of the show, and then. We really wanted to do it in on Kultural and Mokalev once we saw it. Uh, so so it'll depend on how it goes and if it's successful, we might consider taking it elsewhere. And Seamus O'Rourke is one of the... Because I was only talking about Seamus, I don't know if it was last week or on, on the programme, because he was part of... Or he was with the the actor in A Safe Passage, which is the play uh, all about the lighthouse. And he was the lighthouse keeper in it. That's right. I was yeah. at it the other night. It was a stunning show. I Were you it. at it? I was, yeah. Yeah. yeah the yeah. opening night, yeah. Good, good, good. Um, uh, and Jeff, Jeff Gould also directed that show. I'm sure uh, Jeff is a, an institution in his own <laughs> in, in his own right. And in your own career, uh, I mean, I, 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 lo- I loved that um, Smother. You were in Smother. You were the, you were the, gar- you were the guard in Smother, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah in season one, yeah. Yeah, yeah how's, how's the... You, 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 you're doing a lot of work. You're, you're quite busy. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I lived in Vancouver, Canada for 11 years and I came home just before Smother. Um, and that that was great. They're all lovely people, and Lynch is a beautiful place to work. Um, so, so yeah, I enjoyed Smother, and most more recently than on Colleen Tune, which is getting rave reviews and selling selling out in the cinemas. Brilliant, brilliant. You're doing well. You're doing well. Long may it continue, Michael. Now, where are tickets uh, for the O'Donoghue? Uh, where are they? Where can people purchase tickets? You can purchase online at ticketstop.ie, um, and then. In Newmarket, they're on sale at Hannon's, uh, Philip Lennon's Fashion, the Post Office, Ty Ryan's Food Store, uh, and the Doll Shop. And in Canturk, Breda Canturk Bookshop is selling tickets for us as well, but they will be available on the door as well. I have a feeling that, that you, I, I would say to people, get your tickets in advance. I think this is a show uh, that really is going to sell out. We wish you luck with it, uh, Michael. We'll let you get back to rehearsals. And thank you for taking time out to talk to us no. today. Thank you, Patricia. Appreciate it. Thank Good you morning very. to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Michael Patrick there joining us live from Uncultural Lawn in Newmarket ahead of that show. The O'Donoghue, two nights only, 28th, 29th of uh, June.
uh, get your tickets because I have a feeling they're going to sell out quick. Okay, let's uh, brighten up everybody's day and we are hoping for some bright sunny spells later on this afternoon but we've got another pair of tickets to give away. Christy Moore live at the Marquee. He plays next Saturday night the 25th of uh, June. Tickets are available at ticketmaster.ie but I've got a pair of tickets to give away to the gig every day this week. Here is a clip from a Christy Moore song. The summer is fine but the winter's a fridge Wrapped up in old cardboard in the charming cross bridge uh, that is uh, one of Christian Moore's well-known songs. All of his songs are well-known, I Hear You Cry. But what is the name of that song? If you know the name of that song, I need you to get it into me. Launch your name and address, please. Now, it's text and WhatsApp only. 0862103103 if you can name this song. The summer is fine, but the winter's a fridge. Wrapped up in old cardboard in the Charing Cross Bridge. It's like one of those things you know all the songs but trying to work out what is the name of that song if you know it get texting and whatsapping now please 0862 103 103 and hold off if you're texting or whatsapping gardening questions for Peter because I don't want them getting mixed up in the middle of all of the answers and entries that we get in for the Christy Moore competition and therefore I might get to see your text or whatsapp so uh, hold off on that now while we are awaiting our winner for today let me take a look at some of your texts and calls coming into the programme. Now I knew this would happen when I was speaking with Sean Sherlock, Deputy Sean Sherlock in the last hour and we were talking about the HAP scheme and we were talking about daft.ie and how little availability there is out there for people who are renting under the HAP scheme and this is a nationwide issue but it's particularly acute here in Cork City and uh, County and families are really struggling if they're in the private rented sector they dread the day that they'll get a call from their landlord to say for whatever reason they need to have the property back and then they have to go out and try and search to find a suitable property to live in and because there's so few properties available it really is beginning to be a, a bit of a nightmare for so so many people and we mentioned voids and Every time I mention voids, these are vacant council houses. We inevitably will get people ringing in saying that they know of ones in their area. And I knew I predicted it as soon as I mentioned it to Sean. We started getting calls in. For example, Councillor Frank Roach actually contacted us and he says something needs to be done about the vacant houses uh, around the country. Properties that are lying idle. He says that there are vacant properties lying idle all over North Cork, not necessarily voids belonging to the council, but vacant houses they need to be looked at. Michael in Knocknahini was on to say there's a council house in his area. He says it's a four bedroomed house. He reckons it's been idle for at least the last nine months. Why has that house not been rented out to uh, people? And then Mary in Tower was on another one of these heartbreaking stories to say her son and his part, his wife has just had a, a new baby. Wife obviously now is out on mat leave after having the baby. Congratulations to everybody there. But they wanted to put in for a council house, but they've been assessed on their income and it was the income from two years ago and they have been refused HAP the landlord that they're currently living in is selling the house so they've been given the leave 
the notice to leave the uh, property. Is it right, says Mary, that they were assessed on income from two years ago and obviously their income was over the amount and that's why they were refused uh, HAP. Their income is much lower now. Well, I'd go back and explain to them that their income is much lower. Obviously, if the wife is out on maternity leave, the income would be lower. Go back and, uh, you know, see, can you get it? Can you appeal the decision? Because, I, I mean, I know it's like with any of those means testing, there's very strict criteria on what they actually look for. But to be assessing somebody an income from two years ago does seem a long period of time because so much can happen in two years. So Mary and Tower, the only thing I would say to you is is to tell your son and his wife to go back and appeal and look at it and, and look at it again. 0818103103. Oh, I, sh- I meant to give this a quick mention when we were talking about that great show that's going to be on a new market next week, the O'Donoghue, when I was speaking with Michael Patrick. And I mentioned that Seamus O'Rourke is in that particular play in Newmarket next week and I'd only been talking about Seamus last week on the programme because he was in the that wonderful play about the lighthouse called A Safe Passage. Well, Liam has been on to say that Seamus O'Rourke is bringing his latest play, The Handyman. There's a busy actor. The Handyman to the Kilworth Community Centre tomorrow night, Thursday at uh, eight o'clock. He's just finished his run uh, of A Safe uh, Passage. It uh, finished last night as part of the Cork Midsummer uh, Festival and tomorrow night's production has been promoted by the Village Arts Centre in Kilworth which is presently closed awaiting renovation so rather than have it in the Arts Centre they're moving it to the Community Centre so that's Seamus O'Rourke and his show The Handy Man and he Seamus O'Rourke is an outstanding actor he really is that would be fantastic to go along and to see that if you're free tomorrow night and you are in uh, Kilworth and then back to housing somebody said could Sean or anybody else have any explanation for the half built housing estates there's one in Formoy that's rotting away for the last three years that was another issue I have to say that came up on on the programme last week when we were talking about housing somebody rang in about a you know a ghost housing uh, estate there are still many of those ghost housing estates half built housing estates that were just left and of course the developer went during the Celtic Tiger when the crash happened and, and some of them were just left there and could they not be looked at? Is there a way of finishing them off and getting them back into the market and getting them out to people again? Wouldn't it be great? 0818 103 103. And then on a couple of other issues. Oh, Massey in West Cork was on. This is a story that's running on our news at the moment. So Massey says, I'm scratching my head here in utter disbelief in West Cork that there are 4,000 people who are going to be getting a backdated wage increase which is valued at approximately 30 million euro. I simply can't get my head round it, says Massey. When millions else are under pressure financially in this country, I see social welfare rates were not increased anywhere near the way inflation has been has been going in the last few years. And what Massey in West Cork is talking about are the pay rises that have been restored to the senior civil servants. Now, according to Leo Radker, they have to be restored and it's to do with the law going back to 2017. These pay rises will mostly go to hospital consultants. What happened, just a reminder on this, during the recession 10 years ago, austerity was introduced. And remember, on austerity, there was cuts to 
people living on social welfare. Remember all the social welfare cuts? I didn't see any of them getting their money back. But anyway, and as part of the austerity cuts, all pu- public servants at the time took a pay cut. And the public servants who earned the most had their pay cut at the deepest and for the longest. That was according to uh, Leo Varadkar. So they looked at the reversal of these cuts and seemingly they'd have to bring out a new law Uh, if they were to not give this money back. So yesterday it came out that the top public servants, now it includes medical consultants, the CEO of state bodies, certain members of the judiciary and senior civil servants will all have their pay fully restored to pre-austerity levels and that will come in from the 1st of uh, July. Salary rates up to 150,000, which by the way does account for 99% of public service. They've already had theirs fully restored, restored. So it's the 1% that are left, which is about 4,000 people. These are the people who earn above 150,000 and they will have all of their money uh, restored on the 1st of July. And that's what Massey is talking about. It will cost 30 million euro. But according to Leo Varadkar, who was speaking earlier, I think he was on uh, national radio, he was saying that the legal advice is that in order to reverse the pay cuts again, a new law would have been required and that they looked at all of the options and the the, 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 the option that they found was that they just have to pay. He also said, by the way, that there is no longer a financial emergency. And obviously there's nothing like the financial emergency that we had when austerity came in. He said we have record levels of employment and public service. And he said public finances are in good order. Now that will rattle people especially somebody like Mossy in West Cork who's saying that if he's saying the public, sir, the public finances are in good order and yet we have Katrina Toomey talking about the number of people that have to go to her for penny dinners that she's feeding every day. We've all of these people who are scrambling to put a roof o- over their head. We've got people on excessively long waiting lists within the hospital. Don't get me started on the disability sector with children not having a school place. You know, the list just goes on and on. Anyway, that money is going to be uh, paid out. And then Billy was on kind of on another sort of a similar one uh, to say he was shocked to read how many HSE staff are paid over a half a million euro a a year. He says surely no job is worth that staggering figure and it seems there are six members of the HSE who last year earned more than a half a million euro and that they would be the group of people that's included in that 4,000 that would be getting their, their money their pay cuts back to them there was one person within the HSE earned 750,000 three quarters of a million last year now it's understood that the six at that level are all hospital consultants and some people would say they're saving people's lives they deserve to get that kind of pay there was 10 further employees who got more than 400,000 each and of course one of those is the HSE's chief executive his figure Paul Reid's figure is widely known last year he earned 430,000 the breakdown is he's got a basic pay salary of 363,000 he's got allowances of just over 49,000 he's got benefits of just over 17,000 that's his company car and then his his expenses came in at 4,320 so he earned 430,000 last year and uh, all of this came out it's an, an internal audit review on what 
money was spent by the HSE last year and these figures come out uh, every year but the one thing I have to say while you know some people are saying huge amount of money that some people within the HSE earn and you know as I say you know they are consultants they save people's lives and can you ever put a price on that but what got to me in in the review of these figures was obviously last year we were in the middle of a pandemic the value of PPE gear and the hand sanitising gel, the amount of it that has become obsolete or will become obsolete in the coming year was put at, wait for this, 38 million euro. 25 million euro was hand sanitizer that the HSE is now saying will be past its expiry date before it gets a chance to be used. PPP that was held at the end of 2021 that is expected to expire before it can be used came with a total of 12.7 million. The items of PPE recognised as obsolete comprises of protective goggles face shields, aprons, protective suits and masks. All items were purchased in 2020. Estimated cost of 96 million euro. These figures are just draw dropping. The HSC is considering whether the PPE goods can be donated to health departments in other countries. The 2020 financial statement, so this time last year they had another statement out and that did include a provision for these obsolete items to the value of 64 million euro in respect of protect two and a half million protective suits that were purchased in 2020 but are, are unlikely to be used before they expire. The HSC has not decided how to dispose of these suits and they continue to incur storage costs. The cost of last year of storing the obsolete suits was 1.25 million. That's just the mind just boggles. Can I just say, just stepping back from all of this for a second, how does hand sanitizer? How does hand sanitizer have an expiry date? Hand sanitizer is made of alcohol. Just like I said, a bottle of vodka or a bottle of whiskey is going to go off. And I know probably for the, the sale of it, there has to be an expiry date on it. And I know they'll say at the start of the pandemic, there was a bit of panic buying going on when it came to PPE gear because they were afraid of running out. So they purchased obviously way too much that they needed. Also, I'm questioning, how does, how does, how does protective goggles, face shields, aprons and protective suits and masks how do they become obsolete? They can't have an expiry uh, date. And if we're not able to use them, they're saying we'll donate them to health departments in other countries. So obviously they think they're OK so they can use them. Did we just buy too many of them and therefore they're obsolete? And to add insult to injury, we're not going to use these uh, suits. So the two and a half million protective suits. So we're now paying to store them. I mean, please get them to get them to countries that desperately need them who will use them. But that to me... Those kind of figures are just, yeah, I can't get my head around that. I, I, I really can't. Um, and while everything else that's going on, is going on within our health service, the mind absolutely boggles. 0818 103 103. Bernie is taking your calls. We are looking for your gardening questions, please, because Peter Dowdle will join us in a couple of minutes. And you can stop texting us on our Christy Moore tickets. We will select our winner and announce the winner after these. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie.
Let me do the community diary uh, first. Shambani more golden uh, hour. Uh, you're invited to come along for a warm welcome and a cup of tea awaits you. Carrick Tool GAA are holding a three ball better ball golf golf classic it's on today and tomorrow the East Cork Golf Club with a presentation of prizes tomorrow night in Gilders Bar Cork Young Filmmakers are running filmmaking camps this July in Mallow Cove McCroom and Bandon young people aged 14 to 18 are invited to join where you'll have access to equipment and filmmaking knowledge now places are limited so more information from Cork Young Filmmakers at gmail.com and the Strive Group at IRD Dohalo are inviting people to a coffee morning this Friday in aid of the Irish Community Air Ambulance. It's on from 10am to 12 noon in the James O'Keefe Institute in Newmarket. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. OK, let us wrap up our Christy Moore competition for today. The summer is fine, but the winter's a fridge. Wrapped up in old cardboard in the Charing Cross Bridge. Watch the song. The song is called Missing You. And our winner today is Claire O'Donovan in Kinsale. Congratulations to you, Claire. You're heading off Saturday night to Christy Moore live at the Marquee. And tickets are still available at ticketmaster.ie. And we have another pair of tickets to give away tomorrow when I will play you a clip of another Christy Moore song. And like Claire O'Donovan did in Kinsale, identify it. You go into the draw and you could win yourself a pair of uh, tickets now that frees up our text and whatsapp service if you've got a gardening question for Peter can you get those into us now please 0862 103 103 Bernie's also taking calls for gardening questions at 0818 103 103 just some of your comments coming into the uh, programme uh, Dennis in Castle Magna on food prices says he was in Holland, France, Italy and Germany just before COVID. He said at the time butter was on sale for six euro. Milk was dearer and fish was very ex- ex- expensive. So Dennis doesn't believe the survey about food prices in Ireland. But I think on the food prices in Ireland that we were talking about, this is a euro stat. It's come from the European Union. Uh, so, you know, they compare the prices right across Europe. I think what it is showing is that prices have gone up so much in that two years and particularly in the last six months uh, that that's why we are now up there with Denmark. Had they done the survey, I'd have, I'd have to go back and look at the survey from two years ago, Dennis, when you were talking about when you uh, travelled, we probably weren't up there. We were probably somewhere around the middle or around the average for the EU. But unfortunately, with rising uh, costs in Ireland, that's where we now find ourselves. We are as dear as uh, Denmark. Back to vacant houses. Noreen in Cork City says there is a house vacant for she reckons at least four years. It's right beside her mother's house. The grass is now at least six feet high. There are trees blocking the doorway. It belongs to the city council. All the other houses in that estate are so well kept. The people are constantly ringing the council but nothing's been done. And isn't that so unfair to your mother and the other residents who are doing everything that they can to maintain their gardens and keep their own areas spruced and looking well. And then you've got a derelict, almost sounds like a derelict house, but a vacant property who becomes derelict if it's left vacant for any long period of uh, time. That's really heartbreaking on the residents. Just tell them, keep on to the council, keep on and keep on and keep on. And hopefully they eventually might 
CSENTS. And John, in Cove, when I was talking about the HSE wages and the fact that six HSE employees last year earned over a half a million uh, euro with 10 employees earning 400,000 but the six top were all consultants. Uh, John says, what about some of the big stars in RTE? At least the people in the HSE are saving lives, says uh, John 08. 1-8-103-103. Bernie taking your uh, calls. And then somebody else says, Patricia, when you're talking about the HSE and the fact that they're going to give this money, the pay restoration to the top, it's not just within the HSE, the pay restoration is for the top uh, civil servants. How can the government justify that when less than a third of the HSE workers have received their pandemic bonus. This is, you know, the €1,000 that was announced by the government in January, even though I think we started, the government started talking about it about this time last year. But in January, it was finally signed off that the frontline workers would receive this €1,000, kind of a thank you for all the work that they did during the pandemic. And up to this week, this is the latest figures, was Friday of last week, it shows that just 33,431 people have received money, bearing in uh, mind that they, uh, the HSE say that the, the eligible staff for this payment are in excess of 100,000. So working on that, less than a third of the people who are entitled to, remember it's coming in two rates, there is the top one of €1,000 and then the other pandemic bonus is €600 not it's not going to be taxed or anything like that but it's just a lot of anger within certainly within the frontline workers it's almost taking the good out of this because when this was first mentioned you know that this payment would be made you know people were saying that was nice it was a nice kind thing and a way of saying thank you to the frontline workers and you know the frontline workers themselves were certainly very appreciative of it but it does kind of feel now like the the gloss has been taken over it the fact that people have to wait and are waiting so long to get to get it but up to last Friday just a third uh, and while and while that's happening, we we see the HSE and what people are seeing is the waste within the HSE, particularly on the the PPE gear and the one that I'm scratching my head out, hand sanitizer, about twenty five million euro worth of hand sanitizer that's going to go out of date. It's going to go past its expiry date. And what do you do with out of date hand sanitizer? Please don't even give me suggestions of what they're going to do with it. 0818-103-103. Let's take a break and let's come back and have your gardening questions answered by Peter Dowdle. You can text her WhatsApp a gardening question to 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862-103-103. And let's forget about all about rising cost of inflation and uh, civil servants getting increased money. And let's turn our attention to the garden where Peter Dowdle, the IrishGardener.com, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. And, you know, the cost of the plants, Trish, the cost of plants seem to never go up. I, I remember I first started working in this industry in 1989 and the average price of a plant was £5 at the time. And the average price of a plant in the garden centre is still about 6 or €7. Euros. Yeah. It's, and you get such value from it. You really get such value from it. And I find particularly because I can see some people getting very stressed out about things that are, are that they're hearing on the on the news, 
get out in the garden and you just completely switch off. You can spend hours in the garden. The hours just fly by and whatever was bothering you or worrying you, all those thoughts just seem to disappear. I don't know what it is about gardening. Well, there's a lot in that, that Trish. There really is. And I mean, you've listened to me, I suppose, that for years as well. I mean, the value that we have in the garden, just I don't know what it is. Is it connect? There are studies there to, to back it up, obviously. But whether it's, you know, reconnecting with the soil and whether you call that God or the universe or whatever you want to call it. But there's huge truth in it that it, it's grounding, it's earthing to be out there working, just even the importance of access to green space, even if you're not working in it, just being out in the garden. Uh, and there really, really is an awful lot. In and I suppose, particularly going off the topic at the moment, with, with everything that's happening in terms of prices and that, we just have to remind ourselves every day that we're not living in Ukraine or some other hellhole. Yeah, and and we need to remind ourselves that everything is relative. And I think the garden is a great place to do that. Just, yeah. you know, things don't matter so much. Great point. Great point. OK, straight into questions. Now, I forwarded you on because Mary got it in nice and early, a picture of something growing in her garden where she wonders, is this a weed or a flower? They seem to be popping up in different places around the garden, the walls and the ditches. <laughs> and if it is a weed, it looks like a rather pretty looking weed because it's kind <laughs> of a light lavender colour. It is a kind of movie, isn't it? Yeah. And it's a, it's lovely. And, you know, before I even looked at the picture, I'll tell you now what it is. But before I even looked at the picture, I read the question, is this a weed or a flower? And I kind of chuckled to myself because this is a question that it never goes away, if you like. Uh, what is a weed? You know, and yeah. a weed is quite simply a, a plant growing somewhere where you don't want it. So to, to some uh, a plant might be a prized possession, but to somebody else, it could be a weed, depending on, on where it's growing. Uh, and this is a question that, as I say, will go on forever because it has no definitive answer. Uh, and the, the picture that was sent in is a scabious. It's a wild scabious. It may be wild. It's probably wild in this person's garden anyway. Um, but that's not to say that, like, you'll you buy scabious in a garden centre for six or seven euros, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, it's not, it's not a weed that I would be throwing out. So where I'm going with that is, you know, if you like it, uh, then then. Leave it it's be. not a weed. Yeah, yeah it's not a weed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because somebody else uh, has, a, has a kind of a similar question saying, I bought a shrub in a garden centre years ago and it never flowered. When I bought it, it did have a mauve flower on it, but it hasn't flowered since. Why would well, I wonder be? what it is. It, it, there's so many things that could be the reason there, Trish. Um, it, it, it it could be something to do with, and I suspect the most likely thing is to do with the, its aspect. Is In other words, is it a sun lover or a shade lover? And then it's possibly growing in the wrong aspect, which would often affect the flowering. Um, nutrient levels in the soil, such as the level of potassium and, and phosphorus, will also have an impact on flowering. You can get over that with feeding and mulching and improving the soil. Uh, but also it could be a pH issue, a soil pH issue, which could interfere with the flowering. So there isn't a one catch-all answer for that one, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, but certainly send a picture in, in and we'll try and have a look yeah, at and it. I, I get the picture on to uh, Peter. Uh, hi, this is from Joe. Could you please ask Peter, my neighbour has driven nails into the bark of my Grisolinia hedging and it started to die off in places. I'm just wondering, will it come back if I remove the nails? I'm not sure that the nails actually have caused the problem. It's not necessarily, it might, that might just be coincidence. Um, will it come back if you remove the nails? I would say the answer is no. Um, whether or not they caused it, I don't know. Uh, but taking them out, like, so in other words, it has got some kind of an infection now, which is causing it to die back. So if it's a fungal or a bacterial infection, 
removing the nails, even if they were the source of the infection, which, as I say, they probably weren't. But even if they were, the infection is in the plant now. So you need to you'll need to take action. Um, so I would say not knowing what, what's wrong with the plant, not knowing what, what, where, what it is or what's caused it, uh, I would say remove as much of the infected growth. So any of the growth that's dying back now, cut it back and cut into the good wood, if you know, Trish. Um, uh, and then feed it, maybe treat it with something like a, a, a good um, broad spectrum fungicide like the copper sulfate, but feed it then, feed it with a good rich seaweed feed uh, and, and hope for the best. But I don't think removing the nails will, will do much for it. OK, Ted is in Ahabolic. He's got what he describes as some very large planters, but they're mostly in the shade. What would be the best flowers to grow in a mainly shaded area? When he says flowers, I, I kind of half think he's probably talking about, you know, summer flowers, bedding plants and things like that. And if it's very shaded, you're, you are getting more and more limited. Things like some of the pelargoniums or what we call geraniums will grow in shade. And begonias, some of the tuberous begonias are very good for shade. But the heavier the shade, the, the less success you're going to have. Um so I'd look maybe towards more shade-loving perennials, in, in fact, to give you a bit of colour. And then I'm looking at the, the, the Cranesville geraniums, which are the, the true geraniums, if you like, the, the, the herbaceous geraniums that give great colour and they do well in shade. You could, if it's very heavy shade, you could also look at things like um, that will give good foliage effect, like ferns and hostas and things like that will do very well in shade. Now, hostas will also flower. And another one that will flower and grow in heavy shade is a stilbe. Uh, it's a lovely, very fern-like foliage and a lovely airy flower. Um, but in terms of, like, they're all fine. And they're, 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 the good thing about them is that they're plants that will die back for the winter and come on every year. But if you're just looking for kind of summer flowering annuals, you're very limited. I would probably be looking mostly at the begonias uh, and maybe some geraniums. Angela in the city has planted a pumpkin in a container in her greenhouse. It's now growing rampant, so she describes <laughs> it. Will it thrive if she moves it outside? Does it need to be supported or does it grow along the ground? I'd let it grow along the ground uh, and it should thrive outside, certainly um, at this time of the year. Yeah, she should be fine. So I would move it out or it'll, it'll, it'll be like Revenge of the Triffids. It'll take over the greenhouse in no time. So move it out. Mary and Mallow, what's the best way to take cuttings from a lavender? Should she wait until it's stopped flowering? Uh, no, you don't need to wait. And I'm kind of chuckling to myself here because I just put together a video on, on doing just that, It'll, uh, putting it up on my own Facebook page, Irish Gardener, over the next week. So I'll show you exactly how to do it with the camera. But um, it's the right time of the year to do it. What you want to do is you want to get a cutting. With lavender, it's not going to be that long of a cutting. It's probably maybe... I suppose maybe two to three inches. Uh, the base of the cutting has to be at a node, which is the most important thing to remember. So that's where a leaf meets the stem because that's where the auxins are. And that they're the hormones that are responsible for the root development. So uh, take the cutting, the base of the cutting at a node, about two or three inches of this year's growth. Remove if there is a, you don't have to wait for the flowering to finish, but you don't want the flower on the cutting. So if there is a flower on the bit that you've, you're using as a cutting, just remove it. Remove anyway what we call the terminal bud, which is the top bud, if you like, Trish. So you have, you end up with about a two inch, maybe three inch cutting uh, with no flower. And you'll only leave maybe maybe two pairs, maybe three pairs of leaves uh, on the little cutting into a bit of rooting powder, into some damp compost, which is important that there does need to be some moisture on it. But it can't be too wet because obviously it'll just rot, rot the cutting. Uh, but equally it can't be bone dry. Um, I would keep that indoors at this time of the year, even your kitchen windowsill, if you don't have a glass house or a polytunnel or anything like that, 
Uh, and you, you should expect it to see roots. It'll take a few weeks, but it should root away quite easily. Hetty in Glanthan has rhubarb, which she says is not doing too well. She wants to dig it up and move it to a better site when is a good time to do that. It has already disappeared back into the ground. I think nearly every week over the last three years, we've had a question of with, with, rhubarb, with rhubarb yeah, not doing well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and even when you when you were off uh, jet setting recently, JP had a similar question, and it was uh, to do with rhubarb not doing well. So anyway, uh, the time to move it, and I, I think she's probably right to move it and put try it somewhere else. Um, but the time to do that is middle of the winter. So any time, kind of say from November, December, January, do that. Move it to a good, open, sunny position. Rhubarb likes to be very well fed, so. Uh, as opposed like the, you can pour on your, your organic feeds as well, but even better just to improve the soil in the first instance. So add seaweed to the soil, add lots of organic matter, which can be your own homemade compost, seaweed, as I say, that kind of stuff to improve the soil that it's going into in the first instance, into a sunny position uh, and, and then hope for the best then next year and in years to come. And while the rhubarb might be doing well, Sheila says, has Peter noticed how this year's yucca flowers are much bigger she said i've seen huge ones around that's funny no i haven't i haven't but it's funny as soon as you say it i'll probably stop yeah. I'll, I'll probably notice it everywhere i have noticed that I, I was wondering which one she was going to say because i have noticed this year in the hedgerows i thought the may tree that the crete the hawthorns were much uh, more vibrant this year and the elders which are in flower at the moment trish if you see them There's, on the hedgerows if anybody if yeah. anybody wants to go out and make elderflower syrup they're alive at the moment yeah which is great which is great mike in bantry wants to know what can he feed his tree fern with no need to, for Mike and Bantry to feed it with anything, I would say. Um, uh, tree ferns will take what they need from the air, they t- the moisture in the air more so than the soil. So I would leave well alone, provided it's in a relatively shaded, uh, sheltered from the wind, relatively shaded, damp enough environment. It, it should be fine. I wouldn't worry about feeding it, to be honest. My prize offering in my garden is my tree fern that I am most proud of every single year. And it is huge this year. The leaves are just on other fawns, wherever they're called. They've grown out really big and a massive amount of them. And I do, uh, other than I protect it in the winter, I protect the centre of it uh, for the frost. But I've never, I've never given it any kind of a feed. They're wonderful. I love them. They, 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 if you put them in the right position like yeah, that, like you great. obviously have, yeah, then they'll thrive. Yeah, yeah. Just, just don't even think about uh, moving it. OK, also in, let me move to, sorry, over here on WhatsApps. Um, Jerry, uh, could you ask Peter, when is the best time to prune a laurel hedge? Well, uh, just reminding people that you're not allowed to cut back any hedge at the moment. So hedges are not allowed to be cut under the Wildlife Protection Act uh, until September, March to September. It's illegal because of birds and other wildlife nesting. So don't go near them at the moment. Um, the, so, which is fine actually because horticulturally the best two months to, to do it would either be end of February or, or mid-September. So I, at this stage, I'd leave it to mid-September and cut it back then. Uh, Eileen in Clonakilty wants to know how could she make her soil more acid for a skimmia? For ischemia, well, it's kind of the, the long-winded answer is if you like, I, I kind of don't like to go against nature because nature will always win. So if your soil is is limey, you're, it's always going to be limey. You might be better off growing that ischemia in a large container or a pot. Okay, that's the first bit of advice I would give. However, if you are do want to persevere and really try and get it to, to thrive in your soil, sulfate of iron is something that'll make iron more available. It's not, it won't actually decrease the pH of the soil, but it'll make iron available to your skimmia to stop it yellowing. So in a, in a, in a soil that the pH is too high, 
this leads to a thing called chlorosis for skimmias and camellias and things like this, which basically means that they can't get iron out of the soil. So if you give it sequestered or sulfate of iron, then it can, so it prevents the chlorosis. So that's one thing you could do. Aluminium sulfates is another thing you could do. You've heard, I'm sure, or people have heard of, of you know, putting rusty nails around yeah, the base yeah. of plants. To, uh, and that's because you're, you're, you're basically, you're, you're giving iron to the plant. Yeah. So that's what it is. It's true. Um, so I would say the best, what you'd need to concentrate on more than anything if you're putting it in limey soil is uh, sulfate of iron. Okay, and a very final one. This is weed or flower. Kath wants your opinion. What about fairy huh. thimbles? Should I saw a white one on a ditch? I'm actually thinking of transferring it into my garden. So she obviously sees it as a flower do you know what a fairy yeah, well, it thimble won't, is it, it won't yeah it's foxglove but oh, it foxglove. won't um, it won't it won't uh, transplant so ah. leave well alone leave it in the wild it's legal in the first place to take it from the wild okay. but it, it won't plant it won't transplant will not so weed or flower no. Oh, definitely a flower. Can you imagine if they were hard to grow? Everybody in the country would be trying to grow them. Yeah, They're gorgeous. That's true. That's gorgeous. true. Okay, so have you a busy week yeah, coming up? Yeah, yeah two, two things that I'd like to mention quickly. Okay. And the first is this weekend, uh, open gardens for the hospice. Uh, Tony Barry and his neighbour, uh, whose name has escaped me, I'm sorry, but it, it's Tony Barry and right across the road from him in Carrick Tool in East Cork, open this weekend for the hospice. Brilliant. Check out the hospital Marymount website for, for more details on that. I'll put it up on my own social media as well. And also, if people have questions on Japanese knotweed, on Friday on Facebook, on my Ask the Gardener piece on, on Facebook at one o'clock, I'll be chatting with the, uh, somebody to take all the questions on Japanese Great. knotweed and what you should do if you find it in the garden. Great, huge problem for some people. Okay, Peter, thanks for that. Have a lovely week. And, uh, and Thank bye bye. We'll chat you again next week. That's Peter at Dowdle, the IrishGardener.com. Somebody's saying that if the HSE is all that PPE gear, it's a West Cork listener, why not donate it to Irish charities and Irish families rather than send it abroad? That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to Bernie Murphy. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.